If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. Man, I cannot believe this is already the last podcast of 2023 before going into the 2024 season. And what I like to do at the end of the year, today we're just going to do a year in review. We're going to look back at this past season and see some of the struggles, some of the successes, and ways that we can improve going forward. So let's dive into the year-end report. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a recent muzzleloader hunt with my brother for elk. So a couple weeks ago, my brother and I went out for a late season traditional muzzleloader hunt. We both had elk and deer tags. I was primarily looking for a really good bull, but he just wanted to bring home pretty much any elk, any legal bull. So plan was primarily focused on him harvesting an elk. And so I actually, on one of the Christmas episodes, mentioned that he picked up a new muzzleloader. It was a what was it? Tradition shed horn muzzleloader. But unfortunately, I think I mentioned in the podcast, I was like, I don't know how it shoots. Well, we couldn't get the gun to shoot very well. Not as well as some of the other traditional muzzleloaders that I've shot over the years. And and a bunch of my other friends actually bought the same one. So I don't know. We're going to we're gonna spend some time with them. We've actually talked to the company and seen, okay, what shot combination? We tried everything. We've probably shot, I don't know how many rounds between everyone, trying to figure out a combination that made it accurate. So you know, I, I, that was kind of a recommendation off of something that I hadn't shot yet. But uh, so so we ended up deciding not to even carry that rifle. We just used my 54 caliber Pedersoli and I gave it to him because he was going to be first up. I'd already shot an elk this year. And so I really wanted him to have an opportunity to harvest a bull, bring home some meat. So we went out and, you know, it was just one of those years, man. The weather was not as aggressive as it normally is. It's still cold, but we just didn't get the snow 
in a lot of places out west. We got all we got three years worth of snow last year. It seems like four years worth of snow last year, and this year was just not a lot of snow. It's still cold, you know. We still had those cold temperatures, windy, all the same late season stuff. There was snow on the ground, but not enough snow to push the big bulls out of their big hidey holes up at the top of the mountains and concentrate them into that lower winter range. So, you know, we going into that hunt, traditionally kind of looking for bigger mature bull for myself and just knowing that those elk probably weren't going to be around. All right, well, let's, let's focus on getting my brother an elk. And since there's just one gun between us, uh, that's what we did. So first couple of days, or actually probably the first day, we, we ended up finding some bulls and we saw quite a few elk, but we saw some bulls still with cows up on the top of the mountain. I mean, talking like up at 10,000 feet. And there was still a good amount of snow to get up there. And it was probably, I think it was like six mile hike. So we spotted them mid morning and we're like, all right, it's going to take us a while to get up there. I think it was like 3,200 feet of elevation gain to get to where the elk were at. And it threw, you know, snow and slick, steep mountains. So we decided, all right, we're going to give it a try. I, I was like, I think we can make it there in time, but it's going to be right on time. So we head up, we start going up the mountain, uh, encountering some wolf tracks and a few deer along the way. We get up to the top and it's like the storm's moving in. It's starting to snow and, and fog out. And it's like, we're just continually, like we see the elk and they're there. And we actually bumped a set of bulls that were about 500 yards away, just through the timber. And they moved off toward the herd of elk that we were chasing. There was actually a pretty decent, you know, younger six by six bull in that group of bulls, but we just didn't have an opportunity to shoot them. And they went over toward the other elk anyway. So we decided we're going to make a push. And as we're moving in, we finally get up to kind of the elevation where they're at. And we're still maybe, I don't know, a mile away. And we can see that they're they're still bedded where we left them. And so we decide, all right, we're going to work our way around. We're going to try it. It's probably going to be just around shooting time. Maybe we'll have like a half hour of sneaking time, you know, to, to readjust if we have to, but we just really had to push it. And there was this big cliff band to get over there, super steep country, super slick. And it, it was just like, cause the ground's frozen and a layer of snow on the top. It was just hard to stay on it. And it was in that like open bare grass hillside. So you just would slip. We're thinking like, we are not going to go in above this cliff band because if we slip and slide, we're going off those cliffs. So we work our way underneath the cliffs and, and around and we're just pushing it, going as, as fast as we can. Didn't really take much time. We, we did eat, you know, I'm like, all right, we got to take like, we got to grab some snacks and eat along the way. There wasn't a lot of time to dilly dally, but we ended up getting in there and there's like a group of cows and I seen a couple bulls pull off from the group and, and work toward this gully. So we drop down in this little gut and we work up past the bedded group of cows into where the bulls were. And so we're up against this cut in the hill and everything's looking good, but we do not see the bulls. So I'm assuming that they're below us somewhere. So I'm like, all right, you wait here and I'm just going to crawl around and, and peek over here. Just, I mean, I'm crawling like 10 feet maybe just around this little tree to, to peek down lower. So I crawl around and there's one of the bulls that we'd seen right below us within range of this muzzleloader. So I'm like, Jake, come on. So he gets the gun, we load a cap on and crawl into position. We're both crawling and I've got the camera and I actually brought my spotting scope. So I, I wanted to film it. So I got the spotting scope set up and 
use my mag view with my phone to to film the shot. So he's in position. He's laying down like we're kind of on this top of the hill, but also, you know, fairly concealed because there is a tree behind us. We just like the one tree, but we picked this particular spot because we'd have that concealed approach. So he, he lays down, but he can see the elk and it's just, it's tucked into this one little patch of trees in front of us. And it's actually very dark to see. And so he needs to crawl up a little bit more because he could see the elk and shoot, but the barrel doesn't really like clear the hill in front of us. So he's got to crawl up a little more. So he slings his pack up and pushing it up and, and moves up. And during that process, the bull kind of gets a little huh, and faces us. So he has no shot. And then the bull starts to walk off. As the bull is walking off, I just give him a Ew! call and stop the bull. He's standing there broadside within range. Uh, Jason drop, pulls the hammer back, squeezes the trigger. Ah, pop. And all it did was bust a cap. Either there was something in the, the breach or whatever, the cold weather, the gun didn't go off. And that's the thing that with muzzleloader hunts, especially traditional muzzleloaders, is the most frustrating. You hike 3,000 vertical feet, you bust your ass going six miles, you get into range of an elk and the gun doesn't go off. And it's a problem that happens on these late season hunts. It was super cold, it was wet. I even had a gun cover on it. I did everything I normally do. Just something wrong with that cap and the cap didn't go off. So he grabs his capper, tries to put another cap on. I stop the bulls one more time. And just as he gets like, he actually dropped his capper in the snow and it was just a cluster, you know, classic cluster. <laughs> so uh, the, the pop of the cap clearly wasn't um, a welcome sound for these elk. And they stop for a split second just before he can shoot again. They move off and then they're running up the mountain with the whole herd of elk and, you know, way out of range at this point. And just a major, major bummer. So we got to reload this thing at some point because I wouldn't go the next day knowing like, okay, is the powder wet? something wrong? So we put another cap on and there was a rock right where that bull was standing. I'm like, all right, shoot that rock. So he lines up on the rock and just center punches the rock right where the bull elk was standing. Like, damn it. Like that would have been a dead elk for sure. If the shot was anything like that shot he took on the rock, dead elk. So we hunted the rest of the week. And unfortunately, you know, we got a couple other stocks in. We saw, we didn't really see any big bulls. I never saw anything that I wanted to chase. Just trying to find a bull that for Jason to take. He did a couple other stocks, got in close, but just didn't get a shot. And, and that's how the week panned out is one good opportunity and just gun malfunction, not necessarily malfunction, but uh, gun didn't go off, which is happens on those late season hunts with those muzzleloader rifles and and that's the way it falls and, and unfortunately it kind of seemed fitting for the season that i had you know it was one of those seasons where murphy was just had his hand in it anything that could go wrong would go wrong and some years are just like that my thought when it comes to hunting is you might only get one opportunity on a hunt and you need to make good on that one opportunity. And when little things that are a little bit out of your control or, or hard to control go wrong, that's the difference between success and going home eating tag soup. One of the things that I like to do at the end of every season is kind of go back and look at the year in retrospect, you know, and, and kind of maybe even a year-end report of sorts where I can look back and go, okay, well, how did the year go? What were some of the strengths? What were some of the things that went wrong? 
overall, what was the general vibe of this this past season? And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I got to spend a lot of time out in the mountains. I had quite a few great tags. Actually, you know, I, I joke around because like this year, earlier preseason, like let's say this summer, July, when I knew my hunt plans coming up, on paper, I had the best season I would ever have. Like looking at it, looking forward, going, I have some of the best tags I've had at one time. I drew two sheep tags. I had two really good mule deer tags. I had a great elk tag. And I also had a couple general season elk and deer tags. So I had a pocket full of some of the best tags I could ever want. Essentially a dream season, no matter how it shaped out, right? Because I got to go on some incredible hunts. But then the way that some of those hunts panned out, you know, it was a lot of things that could go wrong did go wrong. And I think that, you know, looking back at this past season, it was actually a, a probably a season that I struggled more than any other season I can particularly remember. And I think we're going to dive into a few of the things that went wrong and, and a lot of the things that went right. I don't want to discredit this season because it was a dream season and I got to go on some incredible hunts. But when I look at it like success versus, you know, potential opportunity, it really didn't pan out as good as I would have hoped, right? And and sometimes you go like, oh, well, that's that's too bad. But also it did pan out better in some ways and some other things. So we're going to talk about, we're going to break down. I'm going to go through some of my hunts this past season. And then we're going to just kind of, I don't know, dive into the major takeaways and some of the things that I learned this year, some of the things that I'll think about going into next season and some of the things that maybe will help you guys if you have a hunt that isn't going as planned. So my my season, I kind of think of hunting season really kicking off for the fall season in that early August time frame. And, and for me, I had a, a good meal deer tag. I didn't have a lot of time to hunt it though because I, had, I drew an awesome doll sheep tag in Alaska as well. So I had a little bit of time to go out with my dad and brothers and, and that was really fun in itself because we, we drew the tag as a party. We had August archery mule deer tags in a pretty decent unit. And so that was a hunt that I was really looking forward to. I didn't actually turn up the kind of buck that I thought could be in the unit, but I did find a good buck that I decided, all right, that that's worth stocking. That's a, you know, I, I, I had my brothers go on quite a few stocks and and so I thought I found I finally found a buck that I was like, all right, that that buck's a good buck. We don't have a lot of time. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a play on that deer. You guys might remember the podcast, the story. I sneak in, I put him to bed. It was just absolutely freaking perfect stock. And where he's bedded underneath this cliff, there was no other place to get except for above him. So I stalked into, I think it was like five yards from this big mule deer buck and just sat there waiting. And the funny part about the story is like I had two different broadheads in my quiver, which both shot good at the range. I had my fixed blade broadheads, which were the Evo day six broadheads, which I've used for a long time and very, very happy with. And then I had a new mechanical broadhead that I hadn't hunted with, but I had heard uh, somebody gave them to me and it was like, Oh, these are great. They shoot great. And all this other stuff. And I have, and I will say this, like I've shot other mechanical broadheads and, whatever. But I was, I was trying these ones for a reason. I put them in that quiver because I thought I had that desert sheep hunt coming up and I knew that I was going to use the new Matthews bow, but I knew that sometimes when I get those new bows, I don't have a lot of time to mess with it. So if I had trouble broadhead tuning or something, I was going to use a mechanical because they tune a lot easier and 
it's just sometimes in a short amount of time, okay, that makes sense. And it's like a small animal in a big hole and all that sounded really cool. So, so I was like, I'm going to try this, but I was like, I, thinking about it, I'm like, I don't really want it to be the first thing I shoot at a desert sheep. So I'll try it on this mule deer. I sneak in and I decide to have my regular broad. I can't remember what I started with now. I'd have to think back, but anyways, I switched arrows like twice from my fixed blade to the mechanical and then thought like, ah, oh, no, I should try the mechanical and then switch back to the mechanical. And so I had the mechanical on, put a fixed blade on a while, five yards away from this deer. And then the deer gets up, I shoot it and the broadheaded malfunction. It could have been, you know, I, I'm not going to put this particular broadhead on blast because it could have been user error the way that I set it up. I feel like, uh, I mean, maybe there wasn't great directions on it. Maybe I had like, I don't know, the whatever. Maybe I had it set up for something wrong or whatever, but it doesn't matter. I shot it right where I should have, but I was shooting straight down on it. It was kind of a weird angle and it didn't penetrate at all. I mean, it penetrated the length of the broadhead at most. Like it did not go in at all. And it was very, very, very disappointing. Like a mechanical failure of this broadhead just lost all its energy and just stopped. It was just like hitting it with a blunt tip, essentially. It just sucked, you know? You, you do all that and then you have a failure like that. And that was it. That was my opportunity on a deer. And then went into... Alaska is all sheep hunt. And it was one of those hunts where probably one of the harder hunts I've done in a long time. We grinded, we hunted hard. We hunted our asses off, honestly. Like everybody involved put in a lot of time. We went in early, we like did everything right and we could not turn up a legal ram. We saw a lot of big rams. We saw a lot of close to legal rams, but none that we could for sure go, yeah, that's 100% the ram we're looking for. And so came out of that hunt, you know, busted and bruised, sore and tired, and uh, no no sheep. From there, I went down to New Mexico, and I had a really good tag in New Mexico. And I would say that this was probably the pinnacle hunt for me for the season. One of the things about the season, you know, it, it was weird weather and kind of a weird rut across the board in a lot of places. Yeah, I don't know if it was just a, a, a factor of the previous winter, but it seemed like to me, you know, in summation of this season, we had like kind of a struggle rut, it seemed like. Like a lot of activity maybe at night, full moons kind of during the wrong time periods and you know, abnormally warm weather. So, you know, you combine those things and it just, it makes you struggle a little bit. But where I was at, we were getting bulls to fire up. We were finding elk. We weren't finding giant bulls, but we were finding bulls. And then started to get down to the wire though. It was like, thick country. So you really, if they aren't making noise, your success is very difficult. Like there was one point where I actually heard one bugle in the distance. I walk up to kind of like, see if I can get it to bugle and bust it out. Probably one of the better bulls that I'd seen at my feet, maybe 20 yards away that just happened to be bedded because they weren't making any noise. But as the, so it gets down to the wire, like the second to last day, so it's like, all right, you're going into the second to last day knowing I, I made one fatal mistake where I, I bumped a different bull where I moved up and should have held back. And then it's like, the, it was like midday, it just fired off. It, whatever it was, it was just like rut fest. And that was really one of the pinnacles of my season for me. You know, chasing this bull, I like to call the angry eight. Like his bugle was very just pissed off. And that's... And somebody that loves to call elk and loves that challenge of, of sneaking in on bulls and like just chasing the herd. We dogged these elk for miles, just chasing them from one point to the other. And 
Sure enough, it was like we weeded through the whole group of elk and I was just like, I'm focusing on that one angry bugle. I never knew what that bull looked like, but I just knew he was pissed and I wanted that bull. And sure enough, get into position, able to take a shot and just, it, it was a not an easy shot. Like I had to, I really had to shoot through some some stuff, like some branches. I had this one one opportunity to make it happen and sunk the arrow in the bull go up there and everything looked perfect, you know, everything looked great. Like, all right, gave him some time, probably not enough time. You know, it's just like being self-critical here. I, no, I'm going to say not enough time, even for as a good a shot and bumped him out of his bed. And when I did that, I mean, my gut sank. Like I was like, oh shit. But uh, you know, I, I felt like I hit him good enough to find him and, you know, go to give him some more time, go to do the recovery. And like there was zero blood after that first spot. And we end up, we found him, thank God. But it was like one of those where you were just biting your nails going, and he wasn't that far away, but it's it can be difficult when you don't have anything to go off of. We had a set of tracks mixed in with a hundred other tracks and, you know, a little bit, a lot of luck on our side and, and we found the bull. And that was, you know, a highlight, a high and a low, just a massive roller coaster. But it's like, dang, man, like the first thing, that, you know, you're thinking about past hunts and like archery hunt, malfunction, sheep hunt, grinded our ass off and didn't turn up a legal thing. And then finally get an arrow and a bull and everything looks good. And you bump him out and almost don't find him and luckily found him. And highs and lows, of the roller coaster of bow hunting, right? You know, when I think about the some of the season this year, one of the things that I think was struggling or challenging this year, at least where I was at and where I was hunting, it seemed like when it came to the mule deer season or the deer season, mostly mule deer, it was like the rut was pretty weak. It was like does were surrounded or in like the controlling members of the rut herd were immature bucks. And, you know, you could say like, oh, well, maybe, you know, mixed with a hard winter, maybe the mature deer were dead. And that, and that, isn't the case where I'm talking because I'd seen during scouting really good deer, but I just did not turn those deer up during the rut. And I talked to people a lot of places and it was like a similar thing. And my theory was that, you know, deer have to be in a certain condition. And I thought that the rut was just going to be a little delayed. Like maybe the, the does would go into estrus later based off of the previous hard winter. And so I, I kind of held that, you know, held that, in my pocket thinking, all right, it's going to kick off. And it just really, the places that I was didn't necessarily seem like it did. It just seemed like the mature deer, I don't know what the heck they were doing this year, but where I was at, I was not turning them up. You know, seeing deer, but not like I, I should have. And, and there's probably a lot of other factors as well, but, you know, it just seemed like it was just a struggle. It was just a little bit of a struggle bus year when it came to rut activity for multiple species. Now, the one thing that I will say went well this year, our guiding season went really good, you know, for elk and deer, and it should not have, you know, it was like really warm weather and it was weird weather too, because it'd be like really hot then really cold then really hot again, then really cold. And we still, we shot a lot of bull elk, nothing big, all smaller bulls, but a lot of bulls. And you, you couldn't really ask for more, everybody tagged out. And, and one of the highlights for me, my wife, had a, an elk tag, cow tag and a bull tag. And so we went out and, and she harvested, we were actually going to look for a, a cow elk and found a bull and she shot a nice, it's her personal best bull. 
And that was a lot of fun, you know? And, and like with two young kids, it's kind of hard when we get a little bit of time when I'm not guiding or not doing my own hunts. And so my parents actually were able to watch the kids for a couple of days because we took the kids out quite a bit this season. And it's just, it's just difficult because we've got a, essentially a, at the time, I guess like a two-year-old and a eight-month-old. And so, you know, it's like one of us would have to stay. So I would just kind of stay back and just glass and watch. And it was, it was actually a lot of fun. We had, we enjoyed it. Like during the archery season, she got out and then did some stocks on her own. And it was a lot of fun. And we both, we both enjoyed that, but it was cool that, you know, kind of culminated into her taking, taking an, a bull elk. And so that was nice that we had like a good elk season. I think that was the highlight of, you know, when things were going not so good, that went really well. And then, you know, I, I did have a couple of days to chase some mountain whitetails. I had an opportunity. I talked about this, the gut feeling podcast and just blew my one opportunity. So, you, you know, in the course of a season, you think about sometimes you have multiple opportunities. Sometimes you get one opportunity. And if you make the wrong decision and that one opportunity, then it becomes an unsuccessful hunt. And I, like I said, I didn't have a lot of time to hunt, but I did have a couple of days to go out, you know, weekend warrior style and put in a little bit of time. And I did have an opportunity and I made the right, wrong play and the deer got away. Then I, you know, talked about it a couple weeks ago, late season muzzleloader tag. And this was the one, this was kind of going to be the, the cap of the season. You know, it's like, all right, good unit, big deer in the past, big deer were in there earlier in the season and just never saw the deer that I wanted. Fortunately, my buddy got a buck and that was really cool. So I was able to help him out. And, you know, I think back on my season and my season, I feel like, I, although I did hunt a lot, I actually spent a lot of time helping other people be successful, you know, through guiding and, and just hunt other tags where, you know, I, I was going on the hunt. Maybe I had a tag in my pocket. And honestly, I wasn't even, I didn't even hunt really. Um, like the muzzleloader hunt with my brothers, you know, we both had tags, but I didn't even hunt during the course of the hunt because I was helping him try to harvest a bull. So I think that, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, when you think about the season and in retrospect, that's a lot of hunting, you know, <laughs> and, and hundred percent, an awesome year and a lot of great experiences, but also, you know, a lot of things that went wrong and, and led to unsuccess when generally I'm used to, you know, capitalizing on a lot of those opportunities. When I, I talk about last season where I was hunting with a mouth tab and filled every tag that I had within a few, like fairly quickly and very successful in last season. It's like, it was like, maybe you should just go back to that mouth tab. <laughs> but, you know, that, I say this stuff to say like, you know, I, I put a lot of emphasis on doing things a certain way and, and really finding that success. And even with that, you know, you have seasons that you struggle a bit. And, you know, looking at it in retrospect, I did still have an overall very successful season. Oh yeah, the desert sheep hunt, which if you guys probably saw that video, you know, it was a great hunt. If you heard the podcast, it was like probably one of the best hunts I've ever had. I would do that hunt a thousand times over. Like it was just, I don't know, I can't, you know, that was a hard to beat hunt. But it also in that hunt, I did shoot the wrong ram. And I talked about that. So, so you're like, Son of a gun, like Murphy was just trying to stick it to me this season. But hey, in the end, it was it was a, a season that I'll definitely remember. I went on some incredible hunts and I feel very fortunate and blessed to have spent so much time outside hunting and getting to do what I do. And, and, and when I think about it, you know, I think some of my favorite hunts were because of the people around, 
you know, I think like some of the, some of my favorite hunts and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but some of my favorite hunts were hunts where maybe I was, I had a tag, but I was helping someone else be successful. And that to me is often just as fun as, is filling a tag myself. And then, you know, my sheep hunt, having my brothers and dad around for that. And just like that hunt was super cool. And that New Mexico hunt was a lot of fun. So, I, I mean, I, this, even though that doll sheep hunt, while you're on it, you're like, oh, I never want to do this again. And then you get far enough away and you're like, okay, this is why I, this is why I sheep hunt. It's like that puts you on the brink of, <laughs> you're like on the brink of, oh, I don't know, just everything. It's like, you're wet, you're tired. You've just put everything on the line every time and it's like you get, you get up with that attitude of like i'm gonna be successful and you just keep pushing 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 and that push is what essentially makes sheep hunting so desirable for me is because you don't get that in a lot of other things in life and so when i think about the season in retrospect i would say it was a tough season i would say on paper it was, there was no better season and i would also say that i learned a lot and also just had a really good time as well. And even in some of that struggle, you think about those seasons and those tags and you're like, man, I wish that home would have gone better. You know, it was a good opportunity or a tag that you wait for for a long time. And I think that's part of it too. You know, out West, right? I've got, oh shoot, I've got 24 points in more places than I can think. And I've been applying out of state before there was magazines about it. You know, I just like, I mean, I've, I've been applying in other states my entire life essentially. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm actually going to start being able to hopefully hunt some of those. And you think about it, and you're like, man, I put in my entire, like a, a lifetime of applications and whatever. And I drew this tag, I got this tag. And then you go, well, shit, like I had a hunt that probably would have been better on in a general unit in some other state, right? Like I just, it happens. And you put a lot of pressure and emphasis on the value of that tag and the points and the other thing. And then you get on the hunt and you got to realize like it's still a hunt, you know, <laughs> shit happens. It, it can be a tough year. It could be a, a year you're in a migration area and they didn't migrate, you know, what do you do? You continue to hunt and you have a good time. And, you know, for me, I actually still have one late rifle hunt left. So in the new year, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm thinking, okay, this could be, here's what I'm, I mean, look, if it's a bust and, you know, I've seen a lot of deer, but just not the deer I'm looking for, I'll probably harvest the deer. I'm going to go out with my wife and it's going to be just her and I hunting. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we're going to go out with the idea of having a good time. And yeah, of course, in the back of your mind, it's like, yeah, I want to find a, a really big buck. I love hunting big mule deer, right? That's like one of the, that and sheep hunting. And I say these things, but I, I love every type of hunting really. But look, big mule deer, probably one of the more difficult hunts in my opinion, to be successful on. If you're looking for a big mule deer buck, I think that that's probably one of the hardest things in Western big game hunting, to be honest. And so when that opportunity, like when it lines up like a good season and a good tag and the potential for that, and, and you know, there, there's a lot in your mind, like psyche up about it, but you always gotta, you always gotta think the best. And, and I'm looking forward to that one last hunt and taking a few of the things that I learned from these other past hunts and, applying it to the future. So now let's dive into a few of my major takeaways from this season. You know, like I said, I had a really good season and I had a tough season at the same time. But I think one of the things that was reinforced throughout this season was that all the little details make a big difference. And that's one of the things that 
I really try to emphasize in this podcast is that one opportunity and making good on that one opportunity as a guide. And when it's kind of weird because when I'm guiding, I almost am able to step back a, a further step in a way because I don't have that pressure of being the one that has the tag or whatever. Like you can, you analyze things in a little bit different way. And, you know, it, on those guided hunts and where I've guided most of my life is like, you probably are going to get one opportunity if you get an opportunity. And you need to make sure that that one opportunity is successful. And you factor in all the tiny little details. And when you do that, you're continually successful because you make good on that one chance. And so I try to I try to swing the odds in my favor by doing all those little things and, and being persistent and, you know, that intersection of persistence and luck and going the best way, not the easy way. And just doing all those little things make that big difference. And that was really reinforced in me this season when sometimes you you know better and you're like, oh, but I'll have another opportunity and then you don't. And so even no matter the hunt, you sometimes don't get those other opportunities and you need to make good on the opportunity you do get. I think takeaway number two, sometimes the best hunts are helping other hunters be successful. And that for me, I mean, if you've gathered anything about my personality through this podcast is I love helping other hunters be successful. I, I love taking people out hunting. I, I love hunting myself as well, right? Like, of course, I, I like to be the one in the driver's seat. Um, but I, I really enjoyed, you know, taking my wife out hunting, uh, taking some other people out hunting. It was a lot of fun for me. And we had a good time. And, and even just like, you know, where there was a couple, the last two hunts I went on where I had a tag in my pocket and didn't really feel like I was hunting because I was trying to help the other person be successful. And when that success came for them, that success came for me as well. And I think that that's one of the things, you know, a lot of people don't understand about hunting is, you know, think about just like the history of hunting. And oftentimes it's a, you know, when you look at like prehistoric hunting, it was a, a group effort and success of one was success of all. And I think that there's something very, uh, I don't know, when you kind of are able to go out and help others be successful, that that means a lot to me and I do enjoy that. And I think that sometimes you kind of you know, get so wrapped up in your own hunts or whatever. Sometimes it's like, I, I almost think like when I was thinking about it, thinking back, I'm like, man, sometimes it's better if there was a good hunt, you know, to be just helping on the hunt and not necessarily have a tag myself, just go on the hunt and be involved in, in helping the other person, not so worried about, my tag and this, that, and the other thing. And I do, I would say that, you know, there were a lot of great hunts that I got to help other people. And I had a lot of help on some hunts of mine that meant a lot to me, my sheep hunts in particular. I had a lot of people helping me. And I think that that's kind of the fun part is like helping people on a hunt and then, you know, getting some help in return can go a long ways. My number three for takeaways, weather timing is a huge factor in success for certain hunts. And that's something that you often can't control. You know, a, the difference between the best hunt you ever had and uh, a hunt that was a struggle can, is often a weather thing, you know, uh, or a timing issue of like the wrong weather and the wrong kind of moon cycle and a lot of bad things adding up that just make it a slow hunt. And you really have to dig deep, grind hard, pull out all the stops and sometimes you can do everything that you know and it still is all you can do to to find that level of success and as my good friend mike marchese says uh you can always increase your success by lowering your standards right <laughs> in those times where you're like dude it's not working out if you're looking to be successful 
Like I, I had a couple hunts this year. I think, you know, maybe I, I didn't fill as many tags as normal, but also I was being a lot pickier than, than some years. And in retrospect, I should have gone, I realized like, hey, this season is a little bit tougher because of weather conditions and other things. Like you got a migration hunt and the animals aren't migrated. Maybe just see it for what it is, right? It doesn't matter how long it takes to draw a certain tag. If you were in a general unit, a lot of these deer would have been a hell of a deer, right? And that's essentially what you're dealt with right now. So maybe adjust accordingly in some ways, you know, but also I think for me, when I, when I have that benchmark or that goal, right, you go into that hunt and you got like, I'm looking for this caliber animal and I, I go home unsuccessful because I didn't find that caliber animal. I go, well, that's okay. Because I, I went into that hunt with that expectation, right? I always, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of guiding in, in some pretty premier units and I've get guys that go like, oh, I want to, 200 inch mule deer and the first thing i tell him is like are you okay passing 199 inch mule deer because you cannot shoot a 200 inch buck by shooting 199 inch deer you know and it's like people laugh like oh no i would shoot that and it's like yeah exactly you would but that's the point right you have to be okay passing up a 190 inch mule deer to shoot a 200 inch buck and so when you've got and now that's like on the very high end of expectation right it doesn't matter what it is. maybe you're going 150 or whatever when you're, when you're looking for a certain type or age class of, of animal, you have to pass up certain things and you have to have that be like, I'm okay with going home if I don't find that because I know that what I'm setting out to do is very hard. And if you, if you go back on that, then you'll never find what you're looking for. So on some of those hunts, you, you just kind of walk away going, well, hey, that's, that's, that's what I decided to do. And that was the hunt for me this year. And, and that was how I wanted, you know, how I wanted to do that hunt. Hunting is a very personal thing. Like when you go out, when I go out, people are like, I'm, I'm a guy that shoots, has shot some very large deer, some very large elk. And I've also shot some very small deer and very small elk. And, it, and the way that I base that is I, I'm looking for a certain experience out of the hunt. And I, I factor in the type of unit. I factor in, you know, maybe previous success that season. I factor in a lot of other things. And those things, you know, kind of dictate how I'm, gonna hunt you know if i've got a general area tag and i haven't killed an elk that year uh, and a legal bull is a brow tine bull and it's an archery hunt and i've got two or three days to hunt i'm gonna shoot the first bull that i i have a reasonable chance at because i want elk meat in the freezer it's difficult anyways and and that's how i and and to be honest it's just as exciting as if i have a a limited entry elk tag where there's lots of elk and i can pick them over and i go i want a 350 bull or better and you know that i just factor in the type of hunt, the scenario, the amount of time and, and what that hunt might entail and then hunt it for what it is. And I think that that's one of the things that another major takeaway is realistic expectations. You know, I think that it kind of rolls into major takeaway number four, planning pays off and scouting pays off. I'm going to talk about some overall wins and then I'll jump back to the scouting pays off. So, so, so one of the overall wins for this year and kind of a highlight the desert sheep hunt was one. My wife's bull elk was another one. And then uh, the vortex elk hunt that I did, and I can't remember if I talked about that or not. I think I, I think I talked about it. But anyways, it was one where we were doing a film for the vortex hunt series. Mark Boardman, one of the guys at vortex came out and was hunting and, and I was guiding him. And, you know, when they did the hunt, the availability that we had was opening week. And the opening week is like, there's a lot of pressure on opening day because there's a lot of people out. And my plan was, 
And I told them this ahead of time. I said, look, <clears throat> it's going to be an opening day hunt. And my plan is that we kill a bull within the first five minutes of shooting time, essentially. That's our plan. And they're like, how are we going to do that? And I was like, I'm going to put in a, a ton of time. I'm going to hunt a week ahead. And I'm going to find a bull in a place that I don't think anybody else is going to find a bull, which is, that's a lot of, uh, you're hoping there. And then we're going to go in and we're going to move in in the dark and we're going to have this bull, this elk pattern. And then we're going to go in and we're going to shoot this elk. Like buzzer goes off at shooting time. We're going to squeeze the trigger a minute later kind of thing. And you know what? That's exactly what we did. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that scouting and, and that boots on the ground, but also that e-scouting and just the planning. Because I feel like this year I did put a lot of emphasis on scouting. I put a lot of emphasis on ahead of time planning going through i mean i spent a lot of time on my go hunt app on my go hunt maps i just spent a lot of time you know talking to people even and then i, I put in more time scouting this year than years in the past and even then i don't think i put in as much time as i would have liked or had hoped in the initial part of the season because i had some really good tags and i wanted to make the most of it and in my mind and we did a series on scouting in the podcast this year i think it was very timely i think that for everything that happened, a lot of my major successes this season came from that scouting and planning phase that I did earlier in the year. And I, and I, I definitely stand by that. I think some of my highlights and some of my wins come from, you know, really just putting in that extra time planning. And then there was a couple hunts that I felt like could have gone better. And I felt like those hunts, I didn't do as much planning on those hunts because I was busy planning on other hunts. But I did do more scouting this year. And I found some really good animals. That's probably why. That's the thing about scouting, right? Like you find some stuff and you go, and that's in your head. And you go, oh yeah, I can, I can find that. I'm going to go look for that. You know, I ended up finding some of the animals that I scouted out. But that kind of helps you set your expectation level. Like this is what I'm looking for, right? And you maybe go, it's a tough season. It's going to be hard to find those animals or that type of animal. And that's in your head and you don't want to adjust your expectations from that. But I will say that the planning paid off and the scouting paid off. And, and that's something to think about. If you've got one hunt and you got X amount of time off, how are you going to invest that time? Maybe you can't get out there, but you can put in some extra time at home, e-scouting. You can really pour over some maps. You can talk to some people. You can really build out a good hunt plan. It pays off. And if you got a couple extra days, you can go get two days. Like say you've got an out-of-state hunt. And you're like, it's in an area that I've never been. Get two days. I, I did this on a lot of hunts this year. It was like, I, I just, it's like, I'm packing up my stuff. I mean, especially because it was like kind of a rough winter and I wanted to see where snow and other things were. I kind of kept tabs on a lot of stuff this year. And I was like, I'm just going to go there for a long weekend. We're just going to pack up the kid. We're going to do a little camping trip. And literally just cruising roads and learning access points. I hunted five new areas this year. I scouted, I think all of them. No, I didn't scout one of them, but I was with a guy that had scout, like I had a friend that was in there earlier and got a lot of really good intel. So put in a lot of time pouring over maps and other stuff on that other hunt. So, you know, I, I scouted all these areas and and got in a couple of days early or whatever. And, and I think that that really paid off, even the ones that maybe I, I wasn't successful. It paid off in ways where I knew the area I understood and I was getting into animals, even when it was like a, a very difficult hunt and difficult season. Number five, major takeaway for the years. I think in some ways, gear choice can be very critical. And I say that not as a, I don't know, not, it, it just as a way of like, 
you know, you, you pick something and if you have, if like the, something malfunctions or goes wrong, right. It, it affects the hunt in, in a lot of different ways. I think like when you're going on a hunt in like super wet country, if I think about, if I had like a, a different sleeping bag or, or a different setup, my setup was really good for drying me out. And I've used it before and I was, I had a lot of confidence in it and I knew that I could get wet and I could go dry out and, and whatever. And that allowed me to hunt harder and keep going. Now, maybe the outcome would have been the same. Maybe it would have been different, but I think that that was critical, you know, gear choice in that broadhead selection on that first mule deer hunt of the season. I would have a dead deer if I had a different broadhead attached to the front of my arrow. I have no doubt about that. Right. But shit happens. You know, it's like, okay, I can't go back, but I can think about next year. And I also don't think like, you know, you shouldn't try new stuff. What I do, I've, I should probably do like a, a podcast on it, but I, I've shot a lot. I'm a fixed blade guy. You know, people know me as like the guy that likes a fixed blade broadhead and that's hundred percent true. And the reason for that is I have shot a lot of mechanical broadheads and I've shot them in a lot of different scenarios. Most of the time I test them in scenarios where it's like New Zealand, where it's like a target rich environment and I may be hunting fallow does or wild goats or Hawaii where I'm hunting access to your wild pigs and goats. Or he's like, you might get a lot of opportunities. And I've tried nearly every mechanical broadhead out there. And I have some winners and I have some real losers. Maybe I'd talk about ones that I think are okay. You know, but uh, there are some drawbacks to them too. And I think that that's why on my big hunts in like Western, the tags is like, this is a very valuable tag to me. I choose the the fixed blade broadhead. And I think one thing, you know, maybe what we'll do next month is I'll bring Brian Broderick back when we talked about arrows, because I really liked the way that he described arrow selection. And I think he could break down, you know, the, the kind of the anatomy of a broadhead and what you're looking for when it comes to cutting and killing power and, and all that stuff and energy retention and stuff like that. So I think we'll bring him back and talk about that because broadhead selection is a pretty big one. And, you know, you go like, dude, I've, there's, I know a thousand people that have killed elk and whatever with mechanical broadheads. It's not impossible, Right. But there's also a thousand people that have stories like mine where something went wrong with it. And not that that can't happen with a fixed blade broadhead either. But I just think that in some instances with crazy angles and stuff like that, like there is that opportunity for malfunction. And I've had it happen multiple times and stuff like that. So maybe we'll talk about, we'll do a little bit of broadhead talk a little later, not to beat anyone up for their broadhead choices, but just, you know. You get one opportunity, man, you want that opportunity to go so good. And then I know people that have like, same with, you know, there's a certain bullet out there that we've kind of banned from our hunting camps because we just had too many malfunctions with them. And then you kind of the same thing, like, all right, we had a, bought a new muzzleloader. This is brand new this year. Everything about it on paper, really, really good. My brother bought it and a lot of my guides bought it. Like everybody just, we went in, we got six of them and we can't get a single one of them to shoot. And it's brand new, like everything about it should be really good and we just can't get them to shoot. So that's the one thing that's wrong. And not that maybe we can't, like, I don't know, we'll figure them out, right? Like, I don't know, there's gotta be, they gotta shoot at some point. And maybe it's just like with the combination that's legal for where we were hunting all lead and all that kind of stuff. Maybe they just don't shoot great. But, you know, just like that gear choice can be critical, I think. So, you know, having a little bit of time to, to mess with your gear that's one thing too. Like I want to get better. Like a lot of the stuff that I get on sampling and testing years out, but sometimes I get it right before a hunt and it's like I'm sampling it and testing it on a hunt. And so I think that like for me thinking about 
going into next season. There's a couple of pieces of gear that I just want to be more dialed with. You know, you can always, and as a guy that like gets really dialed with his stuff, I'm even saying that, like I could be more dialed, right? I could take a, a bow that I got this last and just even be more dialed with it, even though I've never felt more confident with a bow in my hand than my bow that I have this year. Very confident with it. Like, gosh, I love shooting that thing. It's one of my, I mean, I've only used it for this season, but it's probably one of my favorite Matthews bows so far. I, I mean, I really love the V3X, and then I really love this new lift. I just had so much, like, it's been super simple for me. It's been, I've had a lot of success with it. I can shoot it really well. You know, and, and then just, like, taking it this summer and just really honing, just, like, even getting more confident with it. It's, like, it's fun to me. That, that kind of stuff excites me, but I don't know about you guys. But it's just, like, I like getting dialed with my stuff. And so, you know, you have a little bit of a malfunction here or there. And, and sometimes, like, all right, you know, my, my brother's muzzleloader and he just busted a cap and scared off the elk and didn't go off. That happens. <laughs> it's just part of the game. It's just, that's why, I, I'll tell you what, I think, I'll say this publicly, I actually think that hunting with a traditional style muzzleloader is probably more, is more difficult for me than bow hunting because I can probably shoot them the same distance, like a patched round ball. I can shoot those patched round balls pretty accurately, pretty, like probably out to 150 yards. But, you know, like hunts for those are generally late season. And the percentage of time that it goes off is not 100%. Like when I release an arrow, I know for a fact it's going off. And then I can reload a lot faster. But I don't know. Sometimes it's just, I think that that's kind of fun. It's a new thing that I've kind of got into lately. and, And it's a lot of fun. So some of the takeaways there. And I think in summation, my major takeaway is going to be that, you know, there's ups and downs in hunting. It, even as somebody that is, I, I mean, looking back in my season that I was like, this was a struggle season. I was extremely successful. I had a lot of big successes. I was a part of a lot of successful elk hunts, part of a lot of successful deer hunts that I haven't even mentioned in here, you know, just like taking other people out we just had an overall really good season and a lot of really good opportunity to try some new stuff this year, which was really cool. You know, for me, I, I would like to be able to, to try new areas, to hunt new areas, to hunt new things. Um, and that, that in itself was a lot of fun. So I think the major takeaway is I had, a, I had a great season and I struggled a lot and I think that that's okay. You know, because I know going into next year, it's like, all right, every once in a while, you get, you got to get knocked off that high horse. You know, you got to be like, yeah, man. Like when I generally, I go, I'm like, I only need two days to hunt. I'll, I'll find them in two days, you know, or whatever. Like you get a little overconfident. I don't know. That's just, but I think that the summation of the season is like, it was a tough year for me personally. And I think like just a tough season based off of the weather conditions and the way that the rut fell certain times. It wasn't like years in the past, but every once in a while you get seasons like that. And, you know, I learned a lot and I definitely reinforced a lot of things myself of saying like, Hey, all right, you got to pay attention to small details. You can't let those things slip if you want to be successful, consistently successful. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. You know, as we look ahead to January's podcast, we're going to do a lot of hunt planning, maybe some gear breakdowns, kind of like thinking about January as prep for the year. We're going to talk about some fitness stuff. We're going to talk about, okay, now's the time. It's application season. And honestly, this is probably the most important time. If you're like 
and want to get into Western big game hunting. I'm, I want to hunt my own state better. I want to be able to pull a tag, you know, really diving into that kind of stuff makes a big difference this time of year. Cause once it gets into the summertime, it's already too late. That's now is the time we got to start thinking about it. So I think the best time to dig into this stuff is now. One of the things that I'm going to be talking about well, fairly uh, quite a bit is, is Go Hunt Insider because that's what I use for hunt planning. Now, I you know you guys have heard me talk about it on the podcast, but you can always use code LIVEWILD if you don't have it already. You can use code LIVEWILD. I think you get like $50 in the gear shop or, or points when you use the code. And then as always too, if you're gearing up for new stuff, they've got a lot of great stuff and you can use that code for 10% off in the gear store. And I think like it's good to have that and kind of dive into it and learn about it a little bit. Because when we start talking about, okay, finding hunts and other things, it's a tool that's really valuable. I mean, it's the best tool out there for for this kind of hunt planning, the kind of hunt planning that I like to do. Um, because it gives you options to really tailor it to what you've got going on. Hey, I, I'm a person with no points. Where should I start? I'm a person with a lot of points. What should I do? I've got a middle amount of points or and I'm not even planning on hunting out of state. I just want to, I'm in a state where it's hard to draw tags in my home state. What's a way that I can be out hunting more? There's a lot of really good options to find plan, find and plan for a hunt. And I know that people think it's like, it's all blown out and all the secrets are gone. It's not the case. <laughs> I continually find new things and I'm like, ooh, nobody's paying attention to this and do them and they're a lot of fun. So I think that that's uh, something to think about. Also, one of the things as we start to kind of going into this hunt planning, hunt prep, you know, as a reminder, outdoor class is a really good resource. Uh, you, you know, I've got my courses on there on mule deer. You know, the off season's a really good time to learn some new tactics, brush up on some of the calling stuff in there, cooking, hunting. As always, you can use code LIVEWILD and get a discount on outdoor class. So something to think about. And we're going to talk about a lot of this hunt planning prep stuff in coming podcasts. If there's certain stuff that you guys want to talk about, hear about, reach out to me on social media at Remy Warren on Instagram or, or other social media outlets. You know, thank you guys so much for all the success photos coming through this season. Really, really appreciate those. I'd like to start putting a few of those up on my blog. So if you guys email some hunt stories or send me some hunt stories, just let me know if you're cool with me putting those on the blog, send some pictures and some other stuff. I'd like to kind of create a community where you go, Oh, here's a, a really cool story from a, a Live Wild podcast listener, some success that they found. Feel free to write like a magazine style or whatever you want. Just tell me your story of your hunt. I'd like to start putting those up on my website because a lot of those are really good. And I do, I, I've read almost all of them. I kind of, when I'm traveling, I'll, I'll try to read them. And then after the season, I'm going to sit down and, and comb through those and, and try to finish reading the rest of them. So thank you guys so much for everyone that sent those in. Really appreciate it. Maybe I'll try to... It won't be there right now, but I'm going to maybe this next season set up like a spot on the website where you could go and then submit your stories and stuff like that. Make it a little easier for me to find <laughs> so I don't have to scroll through all the emails. But I appreciate that, guys. Thank you guys so much for all of you that subscribe, leave a comment, rating of the podcast. We really appreciate it. And until next week, I'm just going to say Happy New Year. I can say that. It's not the New Year yet, but it's going to be. Catch you guys later.